0: Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I am here with Peter Diamantis for another episode of Exponential Wisdom. Peter, you are a man who travels a lot (laughs) globally. I don't know how many miles that you have on your air miles, but I should think that is quite significant. But one of the big things is that leaders from around the world now are really seeking you out to give them some direction, and there's all sorts of different kinds of leaders. There's national political leaders, there's corporate leaders, there's people in the economic world who are looking for trends. What are you noticing about the leaders who, let's say, are really adapting extremely well to the growth of exponentials and those who seem to be really, really up against the wall with it. If you could just sort of describe one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum just for contrast.
1: Yeah. Dan, good to see you. I'm excited about this conversation in leadership during exponential times. I think it's relevant to anyone listening who is an entrepreneur, the CEO, anyone in government, anyone who just thinks about how do I lead when the rate of change is so fast. And here's the situation, the fact, most all humans we like stability. We don't like things to change. We like waking up in the morning and knowing that things are the way they were when we went to sleep that night. A lot of government leadership, a lot of corporate leadership is about maintenance. It's about making sure that things are stable. And when we're living in a time as we are today where the only constant is change and the rate of change is increasing, It's very difficult because a lot of the leaders I'm talking to, and they are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and they are heads of government, are starting to realize that disruption is the norm and that if they're not changing and disrupting their own company, then someone else will. And there's got to be a mechanism for continual evaluation of, okay, how would we disrupt our company? What technologies are going to transform us And a lot of companies can transform. Typically, the smaller ones transform easier. Some larger companies, Apple's a great example. Everyone talks about Apple going from a staid computer company to in the music business and in the phone business and devices now into watches and all of these things. And it's continually trying to transform itself. And other companies ride their product into the ground. Kodak being one, Radio Shack another. We're going to see lots of this. The statistic is that 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies will no longer exist in a decade because of this rate of disruption. And you can do that with companies. Countries are, are far more difficult. Things don't change gracefully in countries. So one of the difficulties, I'll use the large European and North American countries as examples, is a lot of the rules and regulations for those countries are established by the industrial complex, the industrial-military complex, to keep things the way they are, to keep these large players in place. And we see this impact of exponential tech and linear thinking that results in, like, what's happening with Uber, right? So Uber comes in with a product that's 10 times better. You and I both love the product. And then you've got the limousine fleets, the taxi fleets that turn to the government and say, you got to make this illegal. This is unfair, unfair. And of course, as entrepreneurs, we love unfair advantage. So that's what's going on. Where do you
0: see it? I'll just give you an example because I've taken special interest in the Uber model. And I have a thing that I call Uber University. So Uber University, every class is when I take an Uber ride. And the moment I get in the door... Because I'm going to get graded as a passenger <laughs> and I, I'm really big on getting high grades. So one of the things I say to the driver when I get in the car, I said, I'm going to be a five star passenger. For you. So I'm letting you know right off the bat, I'm going to be a five-star passenger. I just want to know, are you going to be a five-star driver? And he said, oh, absolutely. I said, good. We're all settled. We're both going to be in our best behavior. <laughs> okay. But what I do is, let's say I've done 50 rides over the last couple of years, is one of the things I've noticed that with one exception, and this is all within the U.S., or Canada, I have noticed that with one exception, they've all been born someplace else besides North America. So one of the things I'm very, very interested in is what the story is about making a decision, which is probably one of the biggest decisions a person can make in their life to move from one part of the world to another part of the world. Talk about a disruptive change for an individual. And they all tell the same story, and the same story is no opportunity where I was. I want to have children, no opportunity for my children, and I heard about this place. Everybody talks about it, so I'm just going to make the jump. I'm going to move to another place. They usually arrive with not very much money. What they arrive with is an incredible amount of ambition, Okay. I remember one, he was from Bangladesh. This was just within the past month. It was in New York City. And we had quite a long ride. It was about a 40 minute ride. And I said, So you were a limousine driver before. Is that right? And he said, Yeah, I was a limousine driver for 12 years. And I said, Now you've switched to Uber. And he says, Yes. I said, Why'd you make the switch? He said, Well, I'll tell you. He says, I worked 10 hour shifts. He said, I just kept track of every one of my shifts, and how many fares did I get during the 10 hours when I was with the limousine? He said, really good day, I got six. He says, Uber, 10 hours, I get 15. And he said, easy. And Uber doesn't care whether I take the day off, Uber doesn't care whether I go down for a couple hours, Uber doesn't care about anything. Because they just want to make the connection between a car and a passenger, and that's all that really matters. So, we don't get there's no politics being in the system. Uh, he says, I get paid once a week, everybody knows what I get paid. And he says, it's just utterly simple. And he said, it's the ideal platform for an immigrant coming to the United States because you're entrepreneurial and you can set your hours, you can set your time. So, you know, when you talk about the 10x, Peter, it's not just 10x money, it's 10x convenience of time, it's 10x not being hassled. So when you have these breakthroughs that you take a look at any product or service in the marketplace, I look at it from a 360 degree standpoint, it's not just money. There's a lot of different benefits that can add up to the 10x better entry into the marketplace. Airbnb is another
1: one. And these are new business models that leaders can use, enabled by exponential technologies and data and networks. You know, I think to empower people listening, we all have the potential today to be leaders. A thousand years ago, to be a leader... You had to be born into leadership. It was the king and the queen. It was the the royalty. And leaders back then, a thousand years ago, really had very limited things they could do. At best, they could deploy their troops. They could change the economic policy, maybe the legal structure. A hundred years ago, the leaders were the industrialists, the robber barons, the people who could build and impact things. And today, I like to say all of us can be leaders all of us are empowered with extraordinary capabilities for capital for problem solving for resources and so it's a matter of what you want to focus your time on
0: yeah and the big thing is what i've really noticed in recent years is that people are looking to other people for examples of success so if you think of an individual well i'll use a common term somebody who's got their act together is actually a leader to everyone who they actually come into contact with. Because the general condition of disruption that's in society right now, a lot of people, quite frankly, don't have their act together. And our sense of confidence in that individual is really, really geared to our sense, number one, front stage. In other words, what we can see, they have their act together. But there's a congruent quality between who they are when they're on display and how they actually act behind the scenes. So we're we're demanding a degree of congruency about other people, especially leaders. So we hear about a political leader who says wonderful things in public, but then we find out about their personal life and what they do behind scenes. We lose our faith in that individual. They come down in congruency. But I was going to ask you a question. You're a leader. So you're confronted with the same disruptive change. I mean, your subject is disruptive change, but you have weeks that are really great weeks and you have weeks that aren't such great weeks. How do you as an individual, because there's a lot of people depending on you to be their voice of reason, their voice of information in the 21st century, how do you think about yourself as a leader? as you go about your business first of all you're involved in a lot of different organizations where you actually are the leader so what's your game plan for having the way you operate be a positive influence on other people great question and i think honestly i am
1: who i am and i operate in a very transparent fashion early in my life i had an experience where i set out a goal that was ambitious when I was at MIT and I started a college space organization called SEDS and it worked. And that positive reinforcement of having it work got me started on setting ambitious and, you know, I created a university at age 28 called the International Space University and that worked. And I have had a series of failures but I didn't stop trying and it was a realization that it's really the power and passion of your idea. The ones that failed were ones that I was not really, truly passionate about. I was going after the money and not something I was focused on. So I speak openly about the fact that XPRIZE and Zero Gravity Corporation as projects were truly overnight successes after 11 years of hard work, right? But they were driven by my passion, and I didn't give up. And so I think when I talk about for leaders today, it's the importance of leaders being driven by their passion So finding something that you want to lead in that you truly are passionate about and remain curious about because in this time of technological explosion, it's your passion and curiosity that's going to keep you looking for the tools and capabilities to lead with. You say beautifully all the time, Dan, that your eyes only see and your ears only hear the things that you're looking for. So if you're driven by your passion and you're curious, you'll find the things to bring to your leadership.
0: When I think about being a leader, for example, one of the things that I adapted as a coach in the workshops is that when I have the entrepreneurs who come to Strategic Coach actually go through a thinking exercise, we show them what the form looks like when it's filled out. So we don't ask them just to hit a blank form. They hit a form that's actually filled we'll out. by example, please. Yeah. yeah. And the example that I'm giving is actually the way that I filled out the form. I love that. As a member of
1: Strategic Coach and, and someone who finds that extraordinarily valuable, in my life to take a day every quarter and fly from LA to Toronto, seeing how you think and emulating that is really important.
0: Yeah. So I say, I'm going to ask you to plan your next quarter. I want to tell you first, this is how I'm planning my next quarter. And my feeling is that this is going to become more and more of a demand for a lot of reasons. You talk about a world that is a trillion sensors. Guess what? There's no secrets anymore, and so leaders can't have secret lives anymore. Leaders have to be transparent all the way through. And if you think you can get away with what politicians got away with 50 years ago, where you were this amazing idol, almost like movie star idol on the outside, and you can do anything you want behind closed doors, there are no closed doors. So I think that's one fundamental principle for leaders in the 21st century, there's no secret life for yeah. a leader. I think that's important.
1: I was going to hit that point. We're heading towards a time of radical transparency. If you look throughout history, most evil doing would get done in the dark, where a massacre would occur and no one is watching. I'll give one example. The Lindbergh Foundation. The Lindbergh family has become very supportive of my work. They were the inspiration for the original X Prize. And the foundation does different things. One of the projects they're working on is trying to save herds of elephants. And the way they do this is they're flying drones over the elephant herds that are imaging elephant herds so that it keeps the illegal poachers away. So again, if there's eyes watching you, you're going to think twice. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, if you're a mom or a dad, I have four-year-old fraternal twin boys, and I have to teach them that what they do is going to be imaged it might be on YouTube, it might be on Facebook, it might be on Instagram, it might be on whatever is going to exist five or 10 years from now. And that's there forever, right? I know when I was growing up, I was a teenage terrorist. I had closet filled with potassium perchlorate, potassium nitrate, magnesium, sulfur, charcoal. I would build my own rocket engines and explosives. And I I disclosed in my last book, I blew up my friend's swimming pool. We're past the moratorium if they can <laughs> come after me. But You have to be careful about what you do. Think twice about it. And Mm so I think that's going to lead to a more moral stance. And we need a new age of morality in this day and age. The whole NSA Snowden era is calling into question a lot of, you know, who's listening? What do they know? Mm -hmm. What should they know? Is privacy dead? To a large degree, I think it is. What does that mean? Well, on the negative side, you have to watch what you do and say. On the positive side, it's a lot harder for someone to do something evil in the world, Mm -hmm. right? The reason we only have $100 bills in the U.S. and not a $10,000 bill like we had at one point is because if you want to transfer large amounts of currency,
0: you have to do it electronically and it leaves a record. Mm -hmm. Anyway. I have a tremendous interest, and I always have, and as part of my operating in religion. So I've really studied how the big religions, one of the biggest institutions on the planet, are the big religions. Christianity, Judaism, they're not necessarily big in numbers, but big in terms of impact, big in terms of how long they've lasted. I read a very, very interesting book. It was called Big Gods. Okay, so the whole notion is Big Gods the nature of all the religions that really lasted were the ones who had big gods and what they mean by big god a big god is a god who knows everything you do so so your comment about morality and ethics being a matter of having the feeling of being watched is dead on it's a hundred percent that throughout history those civilizations actually expanded and prospered far more than others where everybody in that community had the feeling that they were being watched, that their behavior, even when they were in private, was known, and they were accountable for their behavior, whether someone was actually watching them or not. And I think that this sense, we've talked about this before, and Steven Pinker talks about the fact that, quite frankly, people are getting a lot better in a observed world, in a world that has... Less privacy. People are actually getting better because they have the notion, I better watch out for this text I'm sending because it's going to be watched. I better watch about this photo that I'm sending. It's going to be watched.
1: Well, to take this home to the entrepreneur listening, one thing that you taught me a phrase is what's reported, what's measured improves, improves, and what's measured and shared improves exponentially. That's really important, right? So if you're in an organization, I have my personal skunk works called PhD Ventures that runs Abundance 360 and my speaking and all my things. It's a a great small team. And that team every week reports on their three wins for the week and the next three things they're going to do next week. And it's shared amongst everybody. When I know that everybody's seeing what I have done and what I plan to do, it brings a level of responsibility to that. So it's a really important element. So you could use this concept inside of your company for leadership. I think some of the elements of leadership that can be interesting is going forward, when we are living into a true democracy where everything is being reported, I'm curious about your view. I would rather trust the morality of the general populace than one specific individual, Mm -hmm. right? So as everything is being reported... Opinion of humanity, I think, is going to be a more moral judgment than any few
0: individual leaders. I'm curious. Well, there's a very, very famous quotation by Senator Moynihan, who was a very, very famous senator from New York, and he says, "I would far more trust the judgment of the first 300 names in the Boston telephone directory than I would the faculty of Harvard University." And I was kind of feeling that there was more of a diversity of experience that would make better judgment. I mean, it's why jury trials to this day, jury trials is there's a notion you can take 12 people off the street and with a certain amount of processing, you can kind of trust that they're going to size up a situation. And the reason is because each of the 12 is totally different and is bringing a different viewpoint. I mean, you've been using that principle for years with the Prize. Wisdom of the crowds is a concept
1: that it's I remember a TED a couple years ago, someone brought an ox on stage. Chris Anderson, who was the curator, said, okay, pull out your cell phones, and I want you to guess the weight of this ox. A thousand people entered it, and it was like within a half a kilogram. I mean, it was crazy. I didn't know the weight of this ox. No one did. And you said, you can't Google it, and you don't know it for this specific ox, but what's the weight of this ox? And
0: it was amazing, the wisdom of crowds. Just one thing that I would say is, here's a question for you. Because you are a leader, and to a certain extent, your impact is based on your credibility as an individual, I mean, as you go forward. Yep, of course. And you have a whole series of bigger situations you'd like to get into, and credibility is going to be the pass or no pass to get in the door of those. Where do you focus now on what I would say improving your behavior? Hmm, Interesting. It's important for me to live the life that I teach
1: about, right? So my companies, in bold, I talk about using exponential technologies. I talk about moonshot thinking. I talk about giving birth above line of super credibility. I talk about crowdfunding and incentive competitions and building communities. So I actually try and use all of those things day to day because in using them, I can find out what works, what doesn't work and teach on that but I want to become a model for other people because these are the most powerful tools on the planet and I want to be able to say listen anyone can use these there are interfaces that allow you to use them, you don't have to be an expert in 3D printing or an expert in data mining there are companies or products or services you can use to interface with those things so I think that's very important I put out a weekly blog in which I try and look at how these technologies are transforming industries, you know I talked about How it's impacting retail, how it's impacting real estate, how it's impacting social norms. So I think
0: it's really thinking about this and sharing my thoughts as openly as I can. One of the devices that we've hit upon in the 10 Times program in Strategic Coach is the 25 year framework. I recognized right off the bat that I had to say some things about myself the way I was going to be, and it was the age jump from seventy to ninety five so I started off with my own team, that strategic coach and at one of our annual meetings i said i'm just about seventy years old, and probably you have some experience with seventy year olds and and I said first of all i 'm older than probably most of your parents because we have, <laughs> we have a relatively young staff." And I said, so you're probably thinking, you know, how long is the old guy going to be around? So I want to tell you right now that when I'm 95, I'm going to be coaching strategic coach workshops, and I'm going to be a lot better than I am today. Physically, I'm going to be in better shape in every possible way. And the kind of work I'm producing is going to be incredibly better when I'm 95 than when I am 70, and then I just recently introduced a goal where I said for the next 100 quarters, because 25 years consists of quarters, so each quarter is 1% of 25 years, I just said, I just want to let everybody know that I'm going to produce one brand new book every quarter for 100 quarters. Okay. You talked about the committing to a future for yourself that is observable. It's measurable by other people. And my feeling is we're kind of hitting upon where the center of leadership actually is in the 21st century. It's you as an individual committing to certain things where the results are not guaranteed yet. And you're going to have to learn and you're going to have to make mistakes. Oh, man. Really, really important, right? Because
1: everything, everything comes out of that commitment up front. I mean, you gave me that idea of committing to doing Abundance 360 for 25 years. And it's changed the way I view my responsibility to the 250 CEOs and entrepreneurs I coach, which is the next 25 years, every January, I have gathered my data and I'm presenting to them what's going from deceptive to disruptive. Planetary resources, committing to going out to prospect asteroids early on when i originally with the x prize announcing a 10 million dollar prize before i had the money a lot of pressure here to go raise 10 million bucks and to make courage, sure that courage. major courage stage yeah and we talk about we should talk about when the next programs the 4c's that you have and you mm-hmm. teach at the 10 times program which i recommend to everybody listening here it really is an extraordinary time where i want to encourage people here listening What do you truly care about? Where do you want to make a difference in the world? What do you want to put as a commitment of what you're going to do? What kind of impact are you going to make in the world 10 years from now, Mm -hmm. 20 years from now? Your ability to verbalize that commitment and let everyone know far and wide increases your probability of making it happen a hundredfold. Mm -hmm. And so I think in this day and age of exponential technologies, and exponential leadership, it's the boldness of those moonshot goals. You're letting the world know that and asking the world for help, tapping into the crowd and using the best capabilities. Because when you've made that commitment, you're then listening and hearing for everything and everybody in the world that can help you
0: fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And it changes your abilities. And the means now exists for everybody in the world to know about it. And I think that that's the great thing. So I think that we've actually broken some new ground on the definition of leadership. It actually lies in your personal commitments that other people know about. And the boldness of those as a measure. I'll close my thoughts on
1: Buffett and Gates have this giving pledge. I deal in the philanthropic world all the time. And at first, I started thinking about this. I said, something bothered me about that. I'm pledging to give my wealth away. And I said, you know, honestly, that's not what they should be doing. What people who have been successful in life, many of the people listening to this podcast, it should be an impact pledge. It should be, you've worked hard to make a million dollars or a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars, whatever it is. You should be saying, listen, in my lifetime, I'm pledging to solve this problem, uplift a million kids, change this situation, solve this disease. That's what it should be. You should have impact pledges. So I think leadership is about a pledge to make a very measurable, specific impact with your time, your resources, your money, and lead by example. Yeah,
0: absolutely. In your 6D model, you have the 6Ds, but the sixth d is democratize, and I think that what the age we're living in now is the possibility to democratize leadership. Okay. And I don't mean that people get to vote. I mean, everybody gets to be a leader. Yes. And impact the world. And impact the world. Yeah. Always a pleasure, Dan.
1: Thank you very much, Peter. How about next time we talk about this concept that I'm on a grandstand, on a rampage to change, which is how the news media impacts the way we think. Yes. And not in a good way, that we actually allow the news media to create a mindset that is not the ideal
0: mindset for an entrepreneur. I've actually got a lot of ideas about that. (laughs) I look forward to the conversation. Good. Good. Thanks, Peter. Take care, Dan.